It's time for Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo. This new show discusses trends, technology, and tactics to help the listener learn more about improving sales, saving money, and fulfilling a personal mission through entrepreneurship. Today, I'm taking the show on the road to Stewart, Florida, interviewing Carlos Palais and about making a successful career in commercial real estate. Oh, and stick around for a story about how Carlos got to know the Secret Service at Mar-a-Lago. Welcome to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM. I'm your host, Mark Mondo. We're on the air in Valparaiso, Indiana, and you can listen to us streaming on the website at wvlp.org or use the TuneIn app on your mobile device and look for WVLP. 103.1 FM WVLP is a local nonprofit radio station based in Valparaiso, Indiana. This show, like many of the shows on WVLP, are made possible by the generosity of donors and underwriters. We accept donations at WVLP.org. Simply click on the support tab and make a one-time donation or sustained pledge to WVLP. All donations are tax deductible. Underwriters are made up of businesses and organizations that support the shows on WVLP. Getting down to business with Mark Mondo would like to thank Homes by Hortensia, a Coldwell Banker affiliate in Porter County, Indiana, for their support. Homes by Hortensia has served the region's residential real estate needs in Indiana for over 12 years. Contact Hortensia Moreno or Tiffany Zorio at 219-249-5118 or visit homesbyhortensia.com. Homes by Hortensia, habla espanol. Welcome to the show. In case you're a new listener, here's my backstory and I'm sticking to it. I've been a consultant for small businesses for the last 25 years, helping small businesses implement customer relationship management software, AKA a CRM system, where I learn their business processes and customize the software to help them gain an advantage in sales, marketing, or customer service. But there's much more to becoming a success in business than just having a good CRM. That's why I bring on guests to tell their stories and share tips on either technology, tactics, or trends they use to become successful. So let's get into it and introduce our guest. Who is this Carlos guy? Hey, Mark. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I found him literally in Stewart, Florida. He works with my brother, Matt Mondo and Connor Macon. Uh, he, these guys have been on the show in episode six and seven, and they were talking about their journeys on how to become successful in commercial real estate where you don't have to be, what's the right word for it? get a doctorate or something like that, you just go and do it. So Carlos, how did you wind up here? Sure, so kind of my backstory, I am a first generation Cuban American. Uh, I come from immigrant parents. My family has somewhat a unique story. My grandfather was a highly successful businessman in, in Cuba. He was a CPA and he kind of ran all of the accounts for all of the major tobacco conglomerates out in Cuba, the Northwestern province, it's called Binad de Rio. Um, for you cigar smokers out there, that's kind of where Cohiba, Monte Cristo, Oil de Monterrey, um, 
Padrón. That's where all of like the major, you know, cigar conglomerates reside. Actually, my mother growing up, her her house overlooked the Oil de Monterrey farm. So, of course, kind of your stereotypical Cuban story where Castro comes in and that's right, 59, right? Yeah, I don't I don't quite remember the year, but I should probably know that. But my grandfather had three children, all daughters, and he had to split the family up. My mother was part of this program called the Peter Pan, the Pedro Pan movement. It was done through the Catholic Church. Basically, what happened was she was orphaned. They they brought her to the States and she went to a small town in Illinois and she didn't speak a, a, a lick of English. The family that she was with, they didn't speak any Spanish, but she persevered and it wasn't for a number of years until she was able to reunite with her sisters. And then slowly my my grandparents made their way over. Um, my grandfather was a butcher until going to night school and becoming a, a CPA here in the States. My grandfather, my grandmother, who had never worked a day in her life because they had, you know, butlers yeah, and maids and really, <laughs> yeah, cooks. They were very well off. Um, she worked for Lily Poulter as in the factory sewing. And but fa finally, the family was kind of reunited and, uh, they all lived in Miami. Yeah. The capital of South America. The, capital, as I call it. the other, the other South America, <laughs> yeah, Florida. Exactly. Yeah. And so my mother and father, they're both in their, their seventies. Now my mother's a successful real estate agent. My father's a retired radiologist and I grew up in Martin County, Florida. And at 18, I wanted to just get out of here. There was nothing to do. I got accepted to the University of Central Florida. And Is that Go Knights or something? Yeah, it's Go Knights, yeah. Why do I know that? I don't know, because it's one of the best schools on earth. Yeah, second. Second to Loyola, but that's okay. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, I'll let it slide. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I kind of graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. I was kind of a rebellious teenager. Can't imagine. Yeah, right? And after that, basically what uh, I, I kind of excelled academically when I was able to pick my own classes and teachers. And after getting two degrees from the University of Central Florida, I took my LSATs and I went to law school. Uh, I went to Barry School of Law, even though their main campus is in South Florida, their law school was in Orlando. Shortly after, I got a job at the Ninth Judicial Circuit Court. I worked for them for a little bit. Really wasn't happy. Um, Were you a prosecutor? or Yeah, I was on the prosecution side. Okay. I wanted to do criminal defense. So I kind of wanted to learn how they operated and make okay. those connections so that I could kind of... Beat the system? You got it. All right. And I guess after that, uh, I was working for them. State attorneys made like 47000 a year. They weren't making too much money. So I had a buddy that was in timeshare. And he said, Carlos, you got the gift of gab. You ever thought about doing sales? And I said, you know what? I put a lot of time and money into this whole <laughs> law thing. I think, yeah, I think I'm going to play this one out. But I was broke. I was in debt from law school. And May I ask how much it costs to go to law school? About a hundred grand for a private law school. Oh, that's, that's just chump change. Chump change. Yeah. Yeah. So not, not, not too bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, especially when you're making forty-seven thousand a year for the state. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that return on investment's a little long. Sure, sure. I think they want like a ten-year commitment, and they'll pay back some of your student loans. Yikes! But so I had a buddy. His name was James, and he he was a manager in Timeshare. He invited me to come on over. The hours were flexible, and I needed the money, so I went mm-hmm. over there. First week didn't sell anything. And now timeshares are pretty tough to sell, right? I mean, it, it's not like people. Was it a hard sell or hard way to sell things? You know, I didn't find it too difficult. Um, but you know, per, me personally, I, I don't believe timeshares for me. Okay, just for the simple fact that I feel that timeshare locations are locations where people tend to be tourists, not travelers. Mm-hmm. I kind of enjoy that off okay. the beaten path experience when I travel. But it's certainly a benefit to a lot of people, right? If you have a large family or you don't enjoy planning vacations. And I guess back in the day, it used to be a fixed week kind of scenario where you would buy into week, you know, 37, let's say. Mm-hmm. And uh, if your dog scooter ran away or, you know, Uh-oh. you had a family emergency and you missed your week, you had to nope. wait till next year, week 37. Um, but then we kind of shifted off of that model over time and it became a points system. Okay. Those points kind of gave you access to resorts and hotels all, you know, all over the world. So I can see how there's a, an allure to timeshare travel. Well, you know, as we hear about this, so you, you transitioned into, you went from timeshares. I remember when I met you a couple of years ago, you were just coming out of resident. So you transformed in the residential. And then what's the point of Carlos' backstory is I want to get into, we're going to transition to how Carlos became successful um, in that. So tell, tell us a little bit more about how that switched in the residential. And then you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to this commercial stuff. How, how did that happen? Yeah. So when I worked for, for Hilton selling the timeshares, I quickly ranked up and I became a, a manager. So I ran sales teams. I had about 200 agents under me. So I, I learned kind of the corporate structure of how to build sales teams. Okay. So we started having children. We lived in Orlando. I wanted to be closer to family. So I decided to take my sales background and mm-hmm. I had a real estate license. And as I mentioned previously, my mother's been in real estate since, you know, 1982, I believe. Is she competing against you here in Martin County? No, no, we work together. If it makes money, it makes sense. Oh, all right. We, that's going to be one of our questions later. Family. That's going to be one of my questions down the line. Yes, yeah, about collaboration. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, you got to work with with people to make money. And my mother-in-law is also in real estate. She's been in real estate for about 25 years, 30 years. So I came, the first thing I did was build a team. I got my mom, my mother-in-law, we hired a couple of buyers agents and I did the residential thing for, for a couple of years. I had some good success with that. Mm-hmm. Had the opportunity to come over to Jeremiah Barron. He had opened up a residential division. I quickly rent up as one of their top agents and, um, I had met Jeremiah, I had met some of his key employees and we hit it off Mm -hmm. and they had asked me if uh, I'd be interested in doing commercial and something that I always wanted to pursue. So I did, it's called the CCIM, it's a designation for commercial real estate. I've heard of that phrase, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I did the first course for that. I met my requirements to kind of jump on over to the commercial side Mm -hmm. and now it's been a couple of years. Sweet. So... As we got this awesome backstory here, uh, I want to help demystify the myth of wealth isn't necessarily. That's okay. Thank. Uh, wealth can be created not just through inheritance, or if you're like a professional athlete that can run a four three forty and throw a football, you know, fifty yards on a dime. Um, 
So I want to get into more of that story. There's no platitudes. You know, Carlos didn't invent some unicorn app from Silicon Valley, and he's not a YouTube star that we know of. No, no, I might sell some feet pics on OnlyFans, but that's about it. It's not wrong. <laughs> but you know what? You know, they didn't do that. They don't. He's not. A, he's not shooting unboxing videos on or you know on mine or watching Minecraft video reaction videos, whatever the young people do. What I'm hearing is is he uses old school sales, you know, old school tactics to sell something that really hasn't changed that much in a hundred years when it comes to real estate. So we're going to, you know, we'll keep sharing on what works for you. And, you know, I think you're going to prove that if you work hard, pass an exam, learn how to network, build a support system and take care of your clients, you can succeed. Um, I'd like to contrast this with, you know, other programs we've had on the past year. We've worked with a lot of artists, uh, we work with a couple IT companies, you know, on how to be successful. I think the common thing that I'm running into is that the 40-hour working week uh, and having one place for a job for 30 years, creating a stable income creates a viable retirement plan provided by the employer. It's all eroded in the last 40 years. I mean, you went, you did the cool thing. You went to law school. Lawyers are supposed to be rich, right? Sure, yeah. But you bailed on that. Yeah, I think the reason being is the, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. And I, I truly feel that I was born to be in sales. Well, salesmen are born or not made. Wait, salesmen are made, not born? No, they're born when it comes well, to Carlos. Well, that's how I feel just <laughs> for the pursuit of happiness side of things. Yeah. Uh, I do believe that someone could absolutely be trained in sales. There, yep. There's a science to it, but it's not rocket science. So you know, I think that realistically, there's a lot of competition out there, but you just have to find a way to stand out and build those relationships. Well, hey, that's how we're going to talk to you because I, I found some stats before I get on the show here today uh, based on the Pew Research study. So it's not doesn't really have a political bent. As of April of 22, the upper income echelon of wealth has increased 69% since 1970. For the middle income, it's gone up 50%. And if you're a lower income person, it's only gone up from 20,000 to 29,000. And that's all in today's dollars accommodated for inflation. So we've got to figure out something to make you more successful and move up the, the wealth ladder. So, you know, you started off, you know, not really knowing anybody. How did you get your first deal? Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways to go about it. I found that there's passive marketing and active marketing. All right. Passive marketing is anything that you do that you're waiting for someone mm -hmm. to come to you. So, you know, trying to get a sign out, sending out letters, mm -hmm. trying to solicit business this way. My, my phone isn't ringing like some of the other guys I work with that have been in the industry you, for and, quite some time. Apologies if you heard that phone ring in the background. We're, we're sharing an office space with a couple other agents, a little dude named Chris. He, he He's I wish I had a chance to interview him. He's but he's really successful, and his phone is always ringing. Sure, absolutely, yeah, um, yeah. So we're pretty busy over here. But what what I did was I'm a cold caller. Being in timeshare, I had the opportunity to talk to tens of thousands of people, all walks of life, all different types of personalities. So that kind of gave me the confidence to really just hit the phones. So really, because that was in one of my topics. Because I did the cold call boiler room. Seen the movie Boiler Room? Of course. Of course you have. Of course. That was me. And it might not have known that about me. In 1996, 
I worked for a company called iMall. This is before the internet really kind of took that next level. So I quit a software company's job because they were imploding. And I bailed out before I got a severance, which was probably not the best thing to do, but I did it anyway. And I wound up, this guy modeled selling internet classified ads and online commerce stores as a stockbroker model. Mm. So he put a bunch of dudes, I mean, all dudes, hyper competitive dudes into a room. And it was caught, I mean, it was just like the movie Boiler Room. Sure. Yeah. I, I learned the hard way that I wasn't a good cold caller. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it's for some, it's not for all. Everybody says they want to make the money in the cold calls. But, but let's talk about, it. I really want to hear about that a lot because I've tried it. I didn't do well. I mean, I would do, they put, I mean, they took all the technology away from you so you wouldn't screw around. They just give you a work. You got a phone book or like, I just bought a directory at some bookstore. It was just companies. I, I forgot why that book I got. I would just sit there and call one at a time and they would say, well, how many phone calls did you do? They just gave you a worksheet and put the numbers one through a hundred or one through 200 mm -hmm. on a piece of paper and you just circled it. It was a manual CRM. Sure. And that's how they track performance. It's like, if you, you know, they would yell at you if you're talking, you wait, you know, he, this guy got up on the desk, man. This guy was a bulb. He was a organ buster. I don't know if I can say that on the FCC related air. So he would go, He'd pull up the phone, put the phone to his ear and go, you're employed? And he'd hang up the phone. You're unemployed. Get to work. <laughs> so I don't know how you did it or how you motivated or how you motivated people. Yeah. So, well, when I, when I was a manager, I first started out in outbound calls. I started out on the phones before yeah. becoming a manager. And I'll never forget. I was so nervous. My very first call, uh, I said, hi, my name's Hilton and I'm calling from Carlos. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you, you're not Paris Hilton. No, no, but I did, I did rattle, you know, get my nerves rattled a little bit, but you, you just like everything else in life, you just keep chipping away at it and it becomes easier. And when I was motivating my agents, it's, you know, about 80% of your results will come from 20% of your people. Yeah. So I, I would really keep my top performing agents motivated. What'd you do besides money? You know, money is a, a huge motivating factor, mm -hmm. but I, I think realistically it's getting to understand people and knowing them. So I'll, I'll never forget. I had this one agent, his name was D, Diu Dante Mumbai. Um, and he came in when I first met him, he was taking a bus just to get to, uh, he was taking a bus to get to work and you know, I'd ask them, you know, what's your goals, right? When you, when mm -hmm. you figure out what people want and you can help them achieve their goals, they'll work for you. Yeah. So helping them, you know, navigate through the learning process and, and buying them food and, yeah. you know, giving pizza them always works. pizza always works. Right. And, and giving them those, those cash spiff incentives. Right. Mm -hmm. um, next thing you know, he's able to buy a car and then he was able to buy a house and he was quickly a top performing agent. So you keep people motivated that way. Cool. So, and so that's how, so when you're doing timeshares, you were cold calling, trying to find people that were interested in getting a timeshare in Orlando or something like that? Or? Exactly. So we were, I was working for Hilton, my first go around and we were calling Hilton honors members. Yep. And then trying to pitch them 
a free four-day, three-night getaway, and in exchange for this four-day, three-night stay while they were there, yeah, well, get pitched you on the uh, you get a pitch, get the pitch on the two-hour timeshare. Nice. So certainly, going back to your question on how to keep people motivated, you know, getting to know them is certainly a, a huge factor. You know, money is a huge incentive for people, but I think realistically, my job as a manager was to shift their mindset. And I think that's one of the things that helped how, me. I think how for somebody that's aspiring to get into real estate, you know, you're starting from, I'll say from scratch, you know, all, all of us are created equally at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to find out what that determining factor is, that, that X factor that gets you to that X, X level. Mm -hmm. when, I was, when I was interviewing Matt and Connor, I think Connor, I remember him really explicitly saying, putting up with rejection. Yes. And it's kind of like whether it's dating or sales, if you can put up with rejection, you'll get there. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because I love getting a no. Excuse me? I love hearing the word no. It excites me. Well, Carlos, I didn't, this could be a whole different set of conversations. So we get, what, why is no happy? I don't cold call anymore. I wound up going the passive marketing route in my company. I've been depending on brands that I follow and I do a lot of, uh, you know, the technology has changed in 20 years. I do a lot of what they call SEO. So if they find a certain catchphrase of technology they're trying to solve, I come up number one. I can come up number one in a couple mm -hmm. niches. Yeah. Then I can close them. I'm pretty good. Good. Yeah. Oh, but they say no. I'm like, well, know yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so talk the way, about that. Yeah. The way I like to look at it, I mean, everybody knows that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to be financially successful, what happens in sales is we're so accustomed to getting the yes. Nobody wants to be rejected. You know, if you're a male and you, you see a pretty girl, you approach her and she shoots you down. It doesn't feel good. That's no, weird. I've experienced that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine, right? Everybody goes through it, right? It's part of it. But if we're using that same premise of the fastest way to achieve something is a straight line, mm -hmm. if we're on this roller coaster of, Oh, I want a yes. Oh, I got to no, know. I don't feel good. Or, oh, it's good. Oh, no, it's not good. I'm getting the rejection. Well, then your money's going to be like that. Oh, yeah. Your success will be like that. So the way I looked at it is the law of averages. You know, you, you had mentioned you'd got that manual CRM. They give you a stack of 100 or 200 numbers yeah. to call. No, I think I had to go by my own list. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. there you go. And, and I give you the numbers. And the yeah. follow-up system was you would put, instead of using a computer or anything, they put it in a notebook and you would... It'd be one piece of paper per contact record, and you can write some notes as you need it. And then if, let's say today is the uh, 19th, and you want to follow up on the 23rd, you would have your notebook divided by days of the month, you know, one through 30. And then you have to put that piece of paper into the 23, you'd follow up on the 23rd. So that was very manual. They didn't want you screwing around on the computer. Sure. I can, or the I can, expense, yeah. right? Yeah. Why would they want to buy 20 computers yeah. and maintain them? Well, the best CRM is the one you use. Yeah, you know, so well, that's a whole sure. other sidebar yeah. question. That's going to be a fun <laughs> yeah. question for later. So let's talk. I like really hearing about the nose to the yes. I know, I, I know that academically, you got to go through a you know was it ten call hundred calls to ten meetings to one yes. Exactly. Is that is that truism really changed much even in commercial real estate or in the industries that you're in? I mean, do you cook right now? I when I come down to Stewart. It, it just seems like it's exploding. Like it's the uh, 13th largest 
residential market and growth in the country. We're at Port St. Lucie, Martin County. I read this and I sent this to Matt, like, Matt, you're in the great place at a great time. So do you have to cold call still? Uh, I still do. That is still, I haven't given that up. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had the opportunity to do less of it because now I'm getting referrals. Now I'm, I have the clients that I've been working with that are buying multiple properties or selling multiple properties, but I still do the cold calls. Because you want to keep your, is it, you want to keep your pipeline up? That's it. And so Matthew was talking about how cold calling wasn't as awful in commercial real estate. Cause you're always like, Hey, just, you know, do you want to sell your property and make money? Or do you, what do you usually do on your co- in commercial? Is it a whole different approach in residential? It's similar. I think when you first start out, you're kind of nervous. There's a million different scripts out there. You know, yeah. you can find them online or everybody's telling you what they say and you're trying to figure it all out. But I, I think if you're looking to just get into it, mm-hmm. it can be as simple as, hey, are you interested, right? Are you interested in buying or selling? No. What do I do? Okay, I'm going to give you the first no. We can even have a fun little, sure, yeah, a little, a little improv. Little, yeah, a little, little improv yeah, here. Yeah. Um, so let's say I call you up and, and it's gotten a lot more elaborate since then, but on its basic, you know, form, right? I call you up and I say, Hey, you know, Mark, this is Carlos. I'm calling about one, two, three main street. Yep. You interested in selling? No. Well, if you're not selling, that means you're buying. What are you looking to buy? I'm not buying anything. I'm really happy with where I'm at. I can respect that. So, you know, at that point, if you're first starting out, I'd probably draw the line there. You know, it's like, hey, okay. <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time. No, course. no. Well, that's okay because again, that's that's part of the nose, and the nose isn't about the no in that moment. It's yeah. about the number of nos that I get total. Or do you build a pipe like, hey, we've had the conversation, and the guy says no, and he says no. Do you try to find any kind of common thread about the future? Hey, you know, do you want to? If something comes up, are you interested in the feature? Maybe not now, a later. Do you try to build something for I absolutely later? build rapport. Yeah. So I always say the fortune's in the discovery. But when you ask discovery questions, open-ended questions. Yeah, because you gave me a yes, no answer. So I can yeah, give you yeah, no and I might yeah, shut I think, the door on Yeah, exactly. And I'm being right. harsh, but no, no, that's okay. That's the reality of it. I think yeah. I think our scenario is kind of based on when if someone's first starting out, it, it's it can be just that simple. Right? Yeah. Just get your fears out of making the cold call and just ask people for their business. You get enough no's, you know, hey. You get desensitized, kind of like jumping into a cold pool. That's exactly what it's like. All right. Yeah, yeah. Taking a, an ice bath or whatever the, the new trend <laughs> Polar is. plunges yeah, in Lake Michigan. It. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Before we get into the next segment, we wanted to let you know you're listening to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM, a community radio station out of Valparaiso, Indiana. Thanks for listening, and let's continue. So, all right. So we've talked about a lot of no's here. How are you updating your skill? I mean, it sounds like you've probably got all this experience. You've, you've dealt with timeshares, and you got a couple of great stories to share on timeshares. Something about somebody throwing a pencil at you. How'd you put up with that? Throwing a pencil. I'm trying to recall that Matt one. said something about the husband and wife. Oh, <laughs> I had, a, I had a, a, a rep one time, an agent. I'm not going to say his name. But he was up for a $10,000 bonus. This, these, poor, these poor individuals, they came in, the elderly couple. Yep. They came, they'd they done the, the tour. We're on the line at this point. So mm-hmm. This wasn't in the, the call center. We're, on, we're actually on the line selling the actual timeshares. They come in, woman says, and she has a coat on. And my agent says, hey, let me take your coat. 
takes the coat, hangs it up, and he reaches in the pocket and pulls out the rental car keys. And it's just your stereotypical. It's got the one key with like the one big tag yeah. on it from yeah. whatever company it was. Takes them on the tour. And when they come back, you know, he asks them if they want to buy the timeshare. Of course, they say, no, we're not interested. He's right. got $10,000 on the line. Yeah. He's holding onto their car keys. So he walks out to the front of the building and he throws their keys. Oh, on. I thought he threw something at you. No, no, no. He throws their keys on the roof. And he says, I'm not letting you leave until you, you buy the timeshare. Of course, they bought it and they they canceled, you know, immediately after. And uh, he got his bonus. But uh, yeah, we had to call maintenance, get the ladder and go up there. And we always joke that when he went up there, maintenance found a, a half a dozen keys up there. <laughs> so, well, that's an extreme answer of not taking over an answer. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh my Lord. So how have you updated your skills uh, uh, when it comes to the cold calling or networking? I know you got your, you got your CCIM, which is for the rest of us here, like the master's degree in commercial real estate. Yep, It's a designation. Yeah. Equivalent to a master's degree in commercial real estate. Okay. So how, you know, how are, so if you're talking to somebody and they want to start moving up or let's say, let's go here. We thought about, you just talk about building a team and collaborating. I Stereotypically, we all think, and Matthew and Connor work together on deals. Sure. And you talk about you work with family on deals. Even though there's a lot of money for one person, do you think it's better? Do you take it all for yourself? And another, before I get in, let you answer your question, we had a show last week with a residential managing broker. Her name was Barb. And Barb said, you know, I always collaborate. Mm -hmm. And not the lone wolf, because otherwise you get, she called it commission breath. Yeah, that's exactly what we call it in our industry. Oh, really? Oh, it's yeah, a common, yeah, yeah, it wasn't just her common, unique no, firm. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, it's not, it's not unique to her. Yeah, we call it commission breath. And that's it. You can't be greedy. Uh, I, I always recommend if you're first starting out, there's absolutely a learning curve. Having someone who's more experienced than you to kind of help navigate, um, you know, th those waters with you to really get those deals to the finish line is important. So I can recommend, and it's what I did. I, I joined a team and uh, I had to give up a, a huge portion of my commissions, but ultimately the experience that I learned, I know deals would have fallen apart without having that team in place. And getting, you know, it's 50% it's of something, something is better than 100% of nothing. You got it. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. I, I always thought stereotypically that you're just all lone wolves and you're all backstabbing each other like in Glengarry Glen Ross. No, yeah, it's not like that. That is a good movie. I love the, well, the saying, the fir first place, new Cadillac, yep. second place, steak knives, third place, you're, you're fired. fired. <laughs> and that, yes, everybody, when I I've been here all week because my brother's, I, I'm visiting my brother and I'm working in his office all week. And I did literally hear everybody started quoting Glengarry Glenn Ross. And it just made me smile. It just started happening organically among you guys. And for those who haven't seen that movie, and if you're really in the sales, it's Glengarry Glenn Ross. It is a, a movie adopted in 92. It was a play based by, by David Mamet. And it takes place in Chicago, where they are trying to sell swampland in Florida to mm -hmm. people in Chicago. It is a fantastic cast. Um, 
Alec Baldwin, Jack Lemon, Alan Arkin, Kevin Spacey, no matter what he is a weirdo in real life. Who else was in that? I mean, it was just, a, it was all-stars. And I don't think there's going to be an ensemble like that again for a long time. So, all right, that's a sidebar. That, that's for the Mark Mo show where he gets to review all the movies. <laughs> so we, so what, I think you've answered this. A new agent comes into town. Like I come in and I want to be an agent. And you're looking at me funny. No, you're not going to be a sales guy. You're an IT guy. And it is true. I'll build you the best CRM possible. And I can have all the fields organized. I'll have everything on my phone perfectly. What do I do next? What's the advice you would give? Even though I have a great CRM. Well, if, I'm just going to talk to you first. Like, Why do you want to yeah. be an agent? I would do it. If I were to become an agent, I would do it to build wealth because I think I need something to get from, let's just call it the middle class to that next year. Well, here's the reality. Money's just numbers and numbers never end. So, okay, great. You have this financial goal. Yep. Hit me with a number. What do you want to make? This character wants to make 200K. 200K. What is the 200K going to do for you? Why is there this magical 200K number? Uh, I'll say if I make 200K and I do that, you know, several years in a row, I can build a retirement nest egg and start living off the dividends and just having like a boat in paradise. Okay. So ultimately, if you have future goals and yep. you need certain financial, you know, requirements to hit those goals, right? At the end of the day, is that what's going to make you happy? Because you make the 200 grand, then what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, well, this is a commercial estate agent finding happiness outside of money, asking the tough questions. Yeah, that's it. It's there has to be. I didn't. I didn't expect this out of you. Yeah, there has to be a balance, right? So if all you want is money, be a deal junkie. That's fine. Run it. Run as hard as you want. Make make all the deals. Wait, well, a a deal junkie, a junkie, a deal junkie. What is a deal junkie for those who don't know? Yeah. So I have clients that are deal junkies. They have no personal life. They have no work life balance. They are the ones that are wanting the next deal they only get excited putting together large deals you know it kind of reminds me if you i hope you've watched i hope you say yay to this this one because we haven't rehearsed this the hbo show succession i don't watch tv that's even better you sound like matt so for those who haven't watched the hbo story succession it's about a media conglomerate very loosely based on the murdoch family mm. that you have the patriarch that he's in declining health, he doesn't, and he can't let go of, he can't let go of control, and he can't let go to his son, you know, to his kids, and it's a fight and all that. That's the drama. But what I saw with him in one of the pilot episodes, I mean, this guy's got more money than God. I mean, billionaire. I mean, they took private jets to go play softball. And what you saw with him was he, everybody gets out there, they have fun, they come back. And the son-in-law, or yeah, the potential son-in-law, whatever it is, has no idea what to get him for a gift. So he tries this expensive watch. He looks at it like pin, looks away at it. He was disrespected because the, the, the son-in-law has no idea what to do for a guy like this that has everything. But the, the, the realm of the story that was almost Shakespearean was he had the only thing that made him remotely happy was a deal. He had all the money. Deal junkie. 
He was a deal junkie. He's a deal junkie. He had a, maybe a little bit of power, like political power, because he always had the president in his back pocket. I forgot what he called him, like the Nimrod or something like that, you know, that he had a nickname. But he, despite all that wealth, I think he, I, I, they kind of made him out to be unhappy. And he survived and he built himself up from zero. He was a, his character was an immigrant from, they had to come over on the boats in World War II. And if they, you know, the, the, the horror story that they gave at the end of the series, I'm going to give it some little way, is that they were on a boat <clears throat> coming from Scotland across. And they said, if you make a noise, the U-boats are going to hear us. And that trauma probably led his life to make sure he has control of everything. And, and what happened at the end of the day, he died. He died. You know, he dies. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. Um, but. You know, at the end of the day, that's a good question to have. Why are we doing this? Why? Yeah, you, why are you doing it? I mean, hey, if you want the Ferraris and the mansion on the ocean, there's nothing wrong with that. And, but you got to define maybe how many Ferraris you want because could it ever be enough? Yeah, to me, it's more about family. I think there's 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 certain things money can't buy. We've all heard that, you know. Well, talk about that because you're in an industry. I'm I'm watching the, the numbers that Matt presents here. They're pretty big. Sure. Yeah, I, you know, I. I delve in the space where my typical projects are three to ten thousand dollars. You know, that's where I make. You know, my they're investing three to ten into me, and you know, find a couple some hosting. So these guys are playing with millions, tens of millions, yeah. And how do they? What is their reaction? Are they either deal junkies? Or they what? What is their motivations usually? So for some, I think it's about just conquering as much as they can. Yeah. Um, and then for others, they just enjoy the art of the deal structure, right? They like the negotiation. They like to win. They're highly competitive, highly functioning, mm -hmm. you know, entrepreneurs. Um, a lot of them came from nothing and they got a taste of it and they just kept running with it. Some of them have great work-life balance and some of them don't really care. Yeah. Some of them aren't married or no kids and some of them have wife and kids that they never see, you know, but oh. they get to fly around in private jets. I don't mind having, I wouldn't mind having a PJ. Yeah. Yeah. I think I got to solve a few more deals with Carlos here. We can do it. We can make it happen. <laughs> we'll start you off on like a single engine Cessna. Oh, all right. Fine. Yeah. Mooney. Fine. We could get back and forth to Chicago. We could, have, we could have Matt be the pilot, right? Sure. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> well, so I, I thought I had some other questions about this. So one of the things we talked about with the residential managing broker is we really have, at least the research I've done and just anecdotally for the working class to get to the middle class, real estate's got to be as a stepping stone because the bank will leverage money with you to get a house that they like. So you can, how is an investor, let's say I want to go out and get shopping and I want to start getting rental properties. Do I have to come in with a bag of money? Not at all. Why is that? I, that's the myth to be busted. Now, I've watched podcasts like Bigger Pockets, and I kind of listen to Matt. Matt showed me some YouTube with some guys. So do you think commercial – I mean, this is a biased thing, but you've, you were in law before. You've done other careers. Why do you think commercial real estate or real estate in general is going to be really that, lever, that next lever to move up net worth – whether you are a deal junkie, as you would say, have commission breath, or you want to get that work-life balance goal where you can be like, hey, I'm making the money. There's the passive income coming in. 
and I can have life balance because I'm going to take my family to Paris for the weekend. You got it. Yeah. So I, I think the answer is pretty simple. I mean, it's, it's real estate. It's a piece of the earth. There's only X amount of it. So actually mm -hmm. owning a piece of it, right? If you look at historically the values of property in this country, they've mm -hmm. always increased regardless of the market. Or of course, I had that 2009 thing. <clears throat> yeah. But still, even look at that, right? I So I'm glad you brought that up. I, I remember when I did residential, I had a client when the market crashed, he bought about 10 homes in Port St. Lucie for about $40,000. Wow. And he collected you know, rental income off all of his properties for about 10 years. And then he started selling them all off for about $400,000 when the market kicked back up. Well, so that was good. You, know, you awesome can make story. money even in a down market. Um, yeah, because I, I had think, a really bad experience. I was on the receiving end of that. And Matt probably hasn't talked about that. I, I bought a house in 2005 and uh, it cratered. Yeah. And it, it was bad. That's a whole nother show. But yeah, so I was on the back end of that. So I've, I've always been a little like reluctant and maybe it took me 10 years to get out of it. Like in terms of like, oh my God, real estate's going to die on me. So yeah. talk about that. Like somebody says, well, it's going to crash. Like me, how would you talk to somebody? I say no. What, what, remember that? Say no again. Yeah. You, you like yeah, the word no. I do. I love the word no, right? So, so why I, I think to... realistically, if you're going to start out, don't over leverage yourself. You want to get into it. Yep. Start out with buying your first personal home. Yep. Let's be real. I don't care what market we're in. You're either going to be paying rent or you're going to be paying a mortgage. You got Everybody's got to be somewhere. Exactly. You know, you can't even sleep in your car in Florida for, for cheap, right? So no houseboats? No houseboats. No, they're there. They're there. <laughs> Maybe a yacht. Go down to Miami. Oh, all you. right. Yeah. But yeah, so I think that's the, the best place to start out. I mean, look at if, if you're a homeowner right now and you're listening to this, you probably know you probably have some equity built up mm -hmm. over time. Generally speaking, historical trends are going to dictate that your property is going to increase in value over time. So start out with that one. And then once you're able to, you if you do have equity in that home, you can leverage that mm -hmm. and buy your second home. That's so it. do you think people will buy either a second rental property or do you think they should go um, commercial? So... And I know the I different think, I think it's different strokes for different folks, but I think the the easiest the path of least resistance is, you know, if you're not a seasoned investor, you don't really know what to do. You buy your first home. Typically, your first home is not your forever home, right? Right. Maybe you start having some kids, or you start making a little bit more money. So once you have that first home, if you're going to upgrade, typically they'll rent out their first home and mm -hmm. then do an upgrade for their, ah. their, their other home. But okay. now they have two homes yep. and now they have one that's generating income over time. That asset's going to get paid and it's going to you know, be pure profit if you want to sell it. Yep. Um, or you can just sit back and keep collecting on it and you can start to build your portfolio that way. I personally, now that I'm in the commercial side of things, mm -hmm. residential investments aren't my thing. Right. Yeah. Matthew, both Matthew, side of it. Matthew didn't like multifamily. He's like, no, 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 no. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with Matthew on this because, I mean, think about it. Let's say you have a 150,000 square foot multifamily that's got, you know, 70 tenants, right? Mm -hmm. Or you have a 150,000 square foot commercial building, okay. five tenants. Yep. Well, typically when you do residential, you know, they're year leases. If the AC's out or how many toilets do you want gonna, to fix? Yeah, they're going to call you up in the middle of the night and say, hey, my two-year-old needs needs some heat or some AC. Mm -hmm. And uh, where on the commercial side of things, 
hey, someone who's going to lease out that space, typically it's a business. Mm-hmm. The business isn't going to go anywhere. They're going to want to operate it. They'll sign a longer lease, maybe a five, 10 year, have some options. Yep. And then you only have to delegate and manage five tenants as opposed to the 70 in your multifamily. Not to say that there's not huge upside in multifamily. I see it day in and day out, but you know, I think it's just easier to manage commercial and to own commercial assets than it is to manage, you know, multiple single family homes. And I thought, and just, I come from the IT world and I'd rather, I'm more comfortable with that because like, it's like buying a business Mm -hmm. as opposed to buying somebody. I mean, yeah, you could be a multifamily investor, but they're investing in like personal space. Everybody's investing in business. And I think there's a different set of emotions on the table. You got it. That's my thought. I mean, you tell me. If yeah. I'm so, my, you know, very true, right? On the residential side, it is very emotional. Sellers are, you know, very attached to their personal homes a lot sure. of times. You know, oh, my home's worth so much. Look, little Timmy's growth chart is right here. <laughs> I painted the wall this color that I love. And where on the commercial side of things, it's all numbers. It's business. A lot of the, a lot of my clients will buy properties without even seeing them. They're just analyzing the numbers. Wait, what? And moving forward. Yeah. They'll just buy stuff side unseen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing that well, I see. We're, we're going to, you know, Carlos, I do have a, if you have any buyers, uh, one fun story I have is one of my clients is trying to sell a missile base. A missile base? Yes. I might have a guy. Well, then we're going to, we, we can bring you, bring you two together. Okay. Missiles included? I hope so. <laughs> I want two. Yeah, yeah. No deal unless there's a Titan II missile. <laughs> So they would buy that side unseen. It, yeah, it's, uh, I'm gonna, I'll put, I'm gonna send you a listing. I sent it to Schwan, okay, to yeah. another colleague in the, in the office here. Brian Schwan's got it, and uh, yeah. So they, it's a, a, you know, it was on Doomsday Preppers television show. It got okay. some press. It was a fully converted space from the '60s. It's a, I'll call it a Cold War special. I like it. So talk about that. Would somebody side unseen if they just give them pictures, some numbers, and what would they do? How would they evaluate that? I mean, they're just going to analyze a couple different factors, right? Some of them are going to be either value add on the property. Value add is going to include, let's say there's tenants that are on a month-to-month base Mm -hmm. or tenants that are paying under market rents. Hey, can I come in and increase the rates? Can I spruce up this building and get more for it? If they can do that, people will purchase it just based on that. Mm -hmm. Some people will just buy properties based on what we call a cap rate. For those of you that don't know, cap rate is just a percentage of income that a property is going to generate for you. So they're going to say, hey, I'm going to buy this. It's got some anchor tenants, maybe some national tenants. And hey, I can buy this for X price. And I know that there's these leases in place with personal guarantees and I'm going to make X amount of money on it. There's not much room for for value Mm -hmm. add in it. So it's as simple as just analyzing the numbers to see if it's going to be a good fit. Each investor kind of has their threshold of, you know, of pain and risk. You got it. And what they got in the bank and what they can, what capital they can bring to the table. That's it. I've also, uh, I can tell you a quick story. Oh, I I need stories. I know a couple clients that have purchased properties, put a small deposit down. We'll just use some simple numbers. Maybe they'll purchase a property for $10 million and they'll put a hundred thousand dollars down in escrow. That's not bad. That's like 1%. Yeah. Maybe just a hundred grand, lock it up. Yep. We'll do a long due diligence period in the state of Florida. The state of Florida really protects buyers. And during the due diligence period, you can back out of a contract for any reason and get your deposit back. Oh, like earnest money. I think. Earnest residential. Money. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. So they may 
lock up a property with a long due diligence. And in that due diligence, you'll either find somebody else to flip the property to for uh, a larger price or find some anchor tenants that they can get in and know what they're going to be able to, their projected income is going to be on it. And if they can't find anybody, they'll just back out of the deal. Yeah, they're just they're just kind of little to no risk. I mean, hey, if they, can, you know. if they can just hold on to that hundred, not use it for anything else, yeah, that's all good. And it works on a smaller scale. You know, you could works residential, works on commercial. Yeah, I didn't do that on my on my residential. I I, I wanted the house, so I just grabbed it yeah. and grabbed it and went. But we're getting closer to the end of the show. But I can't, as I said in the trailer, I got a guy here. This guy went to Mar-a-Lago, and what it you know you, most people don't get the Mar-a-Lago. Tell tell us why you went, who you met, and how did it go? And what what tactics did you use to overcome rejection and have no fear? Sure, yeah, that was a fun night. I'll tell you what. So this was not a, a fundraising event. This was a members Mar-a-Lago members event. It was the last members event of the year. And so we went, we went as a couple of guys from the office. We got invited through uh, one of the members that was there. He's, I think he's like the number two or number three yeah, member. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's one of Trump's kind of original friends. Original <laughs> OP. Uh, yeah. He's like an OG. Yeah, OG, yeah. And so we go out there and we're at this event and it was like rock themed. So some people were dressed up, all the tables were all jazzed up and Trump himself was there. So the so, guy knows how to throw a party. He definitely does. He's very he he's a very good host. Okay. Mar-a-Lago Mar itself is gorgeous. If you've never seen pictures of it, it, it's a stunning property. And so we're all out there. Drinks are flowing and food's going. And so Trump comes out and President Trump comes down and he's meeting and greeting and he's doing his thing. And he mm -hmm. has this table right in the center of the event surrounding the pool. And so people are constantly coming to him. Sure. Know? Why not? And as you can imagine, he's surrounded by Secret Service. There's, there's spotters on the roof with binoculars and snipers up there. That kind of adds to the charm of a party, I think. I know? think so. It was unique and uh, unique experience. And so I'm there and I'm with my, my friends. And next thing I know, I see Trump by himself and he wasn't eating. And so Really? He was just kind of chilling. He was just sitting there looking around and enjoying the party. Yeah. And I don't know what I was thinking that I could just beeline straight yeah. to President Trump to meet him. And so I was walking fast paced directly towards him. And I guess it was the way I was coming at him. But when I got about 10 feet away, Secret Service yoked me up. They grabbed me by the arm and redirected me. And they said, not today, buddy. And uh, <laughs> they gave me a nice little arm twist there. <laughs> a nice little arm twist. A nice little, little kidney punch. No, they didn't, they didn't kidney punch me there. They were, they, were, they were pretty good. They were very polite. They were. Stern. Exactly. And, um, and so, no, he waved them down and said, hey, you know, not a problem. He's, he's good. And then they just I kind of went about my my evening. And you went about your day I after did, being a, yeah. after getting a little 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 introduction. Yes, absolutely. To, to the so, guard. so that was certainly a fun experience. Um, and then another thing that I did that evening, uh, I know it's kind of hard to describe over the air, but my business card is a poker chip, mm -hmm. and that's a legitimate poker chip. Always gamble with Car always gamble with Carlos. That's it. Never gamble on your real estate though. 
So hire me. That literally says that on my on my poker chip. So, nice. So I, I I came in with a pocket full of poker chips, jingling. You know, I'm all suited up, and so I do enjoy watches. I'm a watch aficionado, and so as the event was going on, I was noticing the the patrons that were at the event, and I was kind of seeing what watches certain gentlemen were wearing, and so I'm like, oh, there's there's an AP, you know, it's a hundred thousand. It's a, a, like a, a Rolex. Ago. Yeah. Well, they're, they're more expensive than Rolex. Oh, okay. I'm sure there's some Rolexes. Just for the rest of us who don't know these things. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, high-end luxury watches, Swiss, Swiss watches. Nice. And so when you see, you know, a gentleman wearing a $100,000 watch or, or more, like, all right, well. They guy, might be a qualified they, candidate yeah, for Carlos. Exactly. They, I might want to do some business with this individual. So I noticed where they were sitting and uh, when they got up to eat, to get their food, I would place my poker chip on their on their chair or on top of their their silverware. Nice. And uh, as the evening progressed, I was I mean I'm a social person, so I, I was going around introducing myself to everybody I could and giving out as many poker chips as I could. And one gentleman stopped me and he goes, hey, "I feel like I know you." And really, uh, so I told him, "Of course you do. I'm a local celebrity." <laughs> and uh, and then I shake his hand and. All of a sudden, he reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out my poker chip, and he goes, ah, that's where I know you from. He's like, this is a great idea. I love it. And I've actually tried to put a couple of deals together with this gentleman. Well yeah. done. Yeah. I followed up with him. Perfect. That is a perfect way to wrap up. You don't take no for an answer. You keep persevering. If you persevere, you too can be successful in real estate or any business that you're taking on. So we're reaching the end of the hour. I'd like to thank you, Carlos, for coming in today. Or, thank you for having me, Mark. Hey, I'm, I'm having a great week hanging out with all you guys, watching you guys cut deals and become very successful. So, hey, if y'all missed some of the show today, you can listen to the replay on Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time on WVLP 103.1 FM or live stream at WVLP.org. And we store the past shows on Mark's website at mondocrm.com forward slash podcast. Or you can listen to the podcast on your favorite app at any time. We're listed at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Podbean. Just search for Mark Mondo and the show will come up. And you, you can subscribe to the show for the latest updates. And the show is now on YouTube. Just search for Mondo CRM or Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo. And the episodes will come up in the YouTube feed. Thank you very much for spending some time with us today, and we look forward to you joining us next week. Mm -hmm.